Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome again to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. We come to you through three channels here at Blog Talk Radio in our online newsletters, and in our print magazine. They are all now available to you at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. That's small, uh, smallbusinessdigest.net. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our program this week starts off where every smart company should start, talking about planning. Our next guest talks about ways to really build a marketing presence. He he will be followed by a guest who offers a step-by-step approach to growing a small business. And our last guest talks about Managing Your Money Better. Our first guest is Sabrina Parsons, who is CEO of Palo Alto Software, discussing the best ways of ensuring growth through planning and and management. Sabrina, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here today with you guys. Um, This is definitely... Um, an audience of people that I'm very passionate about, and just like you guys at Small Business Digest, uh, Palo Alto Software is all about helping companies manage their financials better and just, uh, in general, grow their businesses as quickly and as healthily as possible. Well, I've used Palo Alto in many different ways, and I've always recommended it uh, to startup companies. Uh, and even some some companies uh, who have been in business a while because it helps. Uh, we we like to start off uh, all our guests by asking them uh, about themselves. How did you get to where you are, and uh, what are the uh, some of the highlights of your career? Oh well, thanks. Um, I uh, I'll try to make it brief. My children tell me I talk too much, so I uh, I won't go uh, too long here, but. Um, I started my career in 1996 after graduating from college um, in the Silicon Valley, and I jumped right into what was a very exciting startup world um, and uh, helped get several high-tech startups going and just got bitten by the entrepreneurship bug and loved the passion and the enthusiasm you feel when you're part of a startup. Um, After being in the Valley from 96 to about 01, I moved to London with my husband. He's a uh, dual citizen. And we started a business over there and started a software distribution business and really had to really learn how to get a business started in a different country, different culture, and in a place where I had assumed we all spoke English, but it turns out American English and British English is very different. So there was a lot of barriers, um, but it was really exciting to um, go through and immerse myself in small business and startup and entrepreneurship uh, in this other country and another culture. Um, after doing that, Palo Alto Software actually bought the London business, and it's now a wholly owned subsidiary. And I came back to the U.S. and started helping to run Palo Alto Software. And in 2007, I actually became the CEO of the company. Um, and, and really what Palo Alto Software does is produce content, tools, and software products that help entrepreneurs and small businesses 
do a better job at running their business, planning their business, and understanding budgeting, forecasting, and cash flow. Um, And so it fits right into that passion that I have for entrepreneurship and the passion that Palo Alto has for helping small businesses. Well, you're an articulate spokesman for uh, Palo Alto. Before we go further, I just the, the famous Winston Churchill line, America and Britain are uh, separated by a common language. Exactly. <laughs> and boy, do you feel that when you actually go over there and, uh, you know, you, you're actually living and doing business there. I remember getting in, you know, black cabs and trying to have a conversation and be like, oh, my God, we just, we are not understanding each other at all. But, you know, you get there once you figure out the local uh, customs and vocabulary you're off and running. And and I think uh, a lot of times I equate that with what happens to someone who has maybe some domain expertise. Maybe they love bikes and so they decide to start a bike shop and there's the same sort of this assumption is, oh, I know everything about bikes, so running a bike shop is going to be easy. And what they don't realize is the language of of running a business is very different and they might know everything about bikes, but then they get immersed in this world of, you know, P&L and balance sheet and cash flow, and a lot of people, you know, kind of freak out a little bit about all of that. And and it's it's something that can, you know, produce a lot of fear and then drive small business owners to maybe not run their businesses as well as they should because they're just afraid of this new business language that they're not comfortable with. Well, well, let's start. Um, uh, uh, we, we're starting with a startup, but um, what do you think are the three is, um, essential uh, ingredients to a startup that um, anyone should first realize starting out? So I think the first thing that somebody has to understand is that if you're starting a business because you want to be your own boss and you're, you know, tired of the responsibilities of a normal job, um, I hear that a lot, then maybe you shouldn't start a business because once you start that business, the business becomes your boss and it is very stressful and there is, you know, you, you never get a day off. And so, you know, oftentimes people tell me that that's why they want to start a business. Oh, I want more flexibility, and I'm tired of somebody being my boss. And I always say, you know, you should be telling me you want to start a business because you have this great idea, you're super passionate, and you just can't let it go. It's just this bug that's in you, and you know that you can do something better. And that passion and that drive to make it work is what's going to make a small business successful. So, you know, you've got to understand that starting a business and running a business is always going to be way harder than just working for somebody else. Um, And so then the number two thing is you have to make sure that if you start a business, you understand what it's going to take to get that business up and running. You're going to start a restaurant, you better be able to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in funding because restaurants take a lot of capital to get going, you know, versus starting a an architecture company where all you can work out of your home office, hire a couple people, and you're providing the service, and really all you need is computers and software equipment. And so understanding what it takes to start the business that you're thinking about starting in terms of the monetary commitment. What sort of funding do you need? And I think the third piece in starting a business is understanding the skills you bring to the table and the skills you don't, and then finding a partner who can maybe round out what you don't bring to the table. Uh, Well, that's a pretty good start. Uh, A lot of people don't just don't realize what – what running a business means, but um, uh, to get more to uh, your area and what your company does, um, everybody who starts a business or even who has a business should have a plan. What's the starting point? What's the middle point? And and equally, if not most important, what's the exit point? And go right ahead. 
Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And I think you hit the nail on the head that everybody who starts a business but is also running a business should have a plan. And I think when you're first looking at, for instance, starting a business and what does a plan mean, you have to start um, at, at a point that's feasible. Nobody today is going to read a 50-page plan. Those are the business plans of yesterday. It's your, you know, your father's business plan. Nobody wants that anymore. A plan today is about laying out a high-level strategy with objectives and goals that you want to reach, and then a financial forecast that helps you understand the numbers behind that high-level strategy. And so the first thing I always tell people when they're starting out a business is, you know, start with a value statement with, with your business. What, what value are you bringing to the table? And then understand the problem that you solve and why you think you have a solution. And that's like the very first stop, step. It's, it's the way to validate whether there really is a business model in your idea. Um, if you've got a value statement that then works and resonates with the problem that you solve and the solution that you put out, then the next step is to think about, well, who am I selling this to? So thinking about a target market and not this, you know, you, you'll have a lot of people say, oh, I'm – you know, got this new material to make these great new shoes, and so my target market is everyone in the United States with feet. Well, that's not really your target market because maybe the material you have to create shoes is this special Gore-Tex material for, you know, business casual waterproof shoes. Well, you know, I'm from the Northwest. That sounds like you should start targeting that in areas where it rains a lot and maybe to, you know, men who think these Gore-Tex business casual shoes are cool. And all of a sudden you have a real target market. So the starting point should be that high-level business strategy that helps you understand if you have a there there. If your business requires you selling, you know, 5 million widgets to 5 million people, then once you realize that, you're going to have to step back and say, okay, this is going to take a lot of funding. This is not just a business I can start with $10,000 if I need to reach 5 million people. And so starting at that high-level you know, business model validation, basically putting together that, you know, what is, what is it that I bring to the table, why is it a solution, why do people have problems? Who am I selling it to? And then how am I going to sell it to them? So that's on the strategy side of things. I think everyone should understand that. And again, when you look at how am I going to sell it, you know, if you're starting some sort of an online business, you're not just going to sell it through Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> and I hear that a lot from people. You know, you really need to understand your marketing channels. And if you're going to sell online, great. How are you going to drive traffic to your website? How are you going to bring visitors? Have you looked at Google pay-per-click marketing? How much is that going to cost you? What are people paying for clicks? You know, do your research and understand what it's actually going to take to bring customers in the door. If you're starting a coffee shop or a restaurant, you're going to have to understand you know, what location do I need to be in? How many people in the area are in my demographic? I'm starting a molecular gastronomy, super fancy restaurant. Well, you probably shouldn't be starting that restaurant if you live in a town with a 1,000 people. So it's really thinking about that high level and, you know, what do you bring to the table? Why is it a solution? Who are you going to sell it to? And how are you going to sell it to them? Well, we've been talking about startups, but what you said also applies. A majority of our audience are people who already are in business, and what you're saying also applies to them, I believe. Oh, absolutely. And, in fact, all those of you who are in business today, you should have – something like this written out for your business that you review on a quarterly and an annual basis. 
You know, is your value statement from three years ago still your value statement, or has it changed? Has the problem out in the marketplace changed, and so hence you've had to adjust your solution? You know, you need to make sure that that roadmap of who you are and what you sell is still on track, and you may have to make small adjustments or pivots to that high-level strategy. And you're right, it applies to any small business. And what comes hand-in-hand with that high-level strategy is the forecast and the budget. You can't really run a business, an existing one or a startup, without understanding where you want to go. If you start a business or let's say you're running a business, you've got this bike shop, you're running it, you've been running it for three years, you probably in your head have a number of how much money you want to make in the next year. You know, you might say, we made $700,000 last year. I want to reach a million. And pretty much every small business owner that I know has that number in their head. And so what I always tell them is, great, put that number down and then tell me how you're going to get that extra $300,000. What are you going to sell? What What is your most popular thing? How are you going to sell more? Are you just going to sell more of everything? Are you going to add a new product line? And it forces a business owner to really think through, how do I get to my goal from a bottom-up perspective in a way that then becomes more tangible? And then once they get that sales forecast, what does it cost? to get that extra $300,000 of sales? Do I have to market more? Do I have to advertise? Do I have to raise my prices? Um, you know, wh- How much does it cost me to bring in all my inventory? Do I have to hire more people, buy another truck? So that then you're aligned with where you want to go. If I just tell you I made 700000 last year and I want to make a million, great, but it doesn't answer the question of how and is that really feasible? Maybe in your area, what's really feasible is to go from 700000 to 800000 and that extra $100,000 is actually going to be hard to get. Or maybe you're in a place where it's really easy to get to $1.5 and you don't realize that until you actually start playing with a financial forecast and the financial model behind it. Well, is, um, I, I ask this question. Um, is it difficult to really model a small business? You know, it can be, but I think there's some great tools out in the marketplace to to help. Um, and, you know, we have some tools that I think are great. Our live plan product allows you to build that high-level strategy. We call it your um, your pitch page. We've got our full financial forecasting tools so that you fill out your sales forecast and your budget and it automatically creates your P&L and your balance sheet and then you fill out some cash flow assumptions and you get a cash flow forecast. So clearly, I mean, it's my company. It's the vision I have for our product. I think it's great, but it's not the only tool. There's plenty of tools that you can use. You can certainly use your accounting software to create a budget. You might be working with a CPA or a bookkeeper that has a some Excel spreadsheets. Um, there, there's tools to create them and to create a financial forecast that's actually pretty easy to use and pretty easy to adjust and not scary at all. The biggest thing I would say, though, is find a model that has a sales forecast that flows into a budget for expenses that then automatically creates your P&L and your balance sheet and your cash flow. Because a, a balance sheet, a P&L, and a cash flow has some complicated formulas behind them, and that's where you don't want to be dealing with that. You don't want to try to be recreating the wheel in an Excel spreadsheet. There's plenty of tools available. They're very affordable out in the marketplace. And don't make that mistake, and don't spend all that energy creating some Excel spreadsheet where you're going to pull your hair out. Use a model that will automatically flow so that once you create the sales forecast and your budget, if you're not profitable at all, it's easy to jump right back into the sales forecast and maybe adjust the price line and immediately see what that does to your bottom line. If you're doing your forecasting correctly, and maybe I'm just a numbers nerd, but I think if you're doing your forecasting correctly, 
once you get the model set, it's actually fun to run in there and change things and do the what if. Huh, what if I sell 100 more of these? Oh, wow, look at what that does. All right, let's do that. Let's sell 100 more of these. You know, what if I hire someone else? They can do all these other things, but can I afford that? So from my perspective running a business, I love putting my forecast and my budget together because then it allows me to play the what-if game in a way that's actually positive and not scary. You're not paying the what-if game at the end of the month with, oh, what if? I hope I have enough money in my account to pay everyone their payroll. That's not a fun what-if game. But the what-if game of working with your budget and your forecast so you clearly see what your business is doing and where you want it to go, I think is very liberating and really helps you understand the levers in your business you can actually turn to make more money. Uh, Sabrina, we have to invite you back for for another time to talk more. Uh, but uh, before you go, tell us a little bit about Palo Alto and how the uh, software and how they can uh, learn more about it and learn more about you. Great, yeah. So um, Palo Alto Software is actually started in Palo Alto, California, but we're now in Eugene, Oregon. Um, you can learn more about us at paloalto.com. But really for your audience and all of you, you know, running small businesses, check out liveplan.com. That's our online planning and tracking software. It's nineteen ninety five a month. Um, so for twenty bucks a month you get two full users. You can invite your accountant. They can help you get everything set up or invite your business partner to be a full user on it. And it'll walk you through everything. It'll show you examples. It really is been created to help you Focus on what you're the expert on, so the bike shop, the restaurant, and then let us put all of your expertise into that strategic plan and that financial forecast so that you can run your business and run it effectively. And if you do all of this, there's studies that prove you engage in planning, budgeting, and forecasting, you're going to grow 30% faster. Thank you, Sabrina. And, uh, Great. Thank you come very back much. Again. Come okay. back again soon. Great. Thank I, I, you so much. Right. Uh, after this brief commercial, we're, we're uh, back with uh, Chris Morentis uh, of Surefire Social. This commercial first, and then Chris. Just how dangerous is social networking? Use of websites like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube are all the rage. But what are the downsides of this new technology? The incidence of bullying, stalking, harassment, and inappropriate content are increasing. Just how dangerous is it? What can you do to protect your child and yourself from it? Go to protectivecountermeasures.com for a free hour-long video on the dangers of social networking. That's protectivecountermeasures.com for your free hour-long video. We're back. This is Don Mazzella. And our next guest is Chris Morentis, who's president of Surefire Social. And uh, he's going to talk to us about how uh, we can market our products and services better. Chris, are you on? Yeah, Don, I'm here. How are you doing? Did I promote you? Or uh, I know you're one of the two founders of the company. I am, uh, well, I am the founder, and I'm the CEO. Yeah. So I think you did a good job. Okay. Well, Chris, we always start uh, our guests first by asking them a little bit about um, about themselves to tell us a little bit about themselves and how they reach the point they are. So with that, uh, the floor is yours. Okay, good. Well, you know, I've been in, in marketing and media for, you know, over 30 years at this point, and I started out in digital marketing um in the mid-1995 time frame, when, uh, even before there was an Internet, with, um, with the idea of uh, what was going to become communication and how do you bridge this new technology with you know, uh, marketing solutions. And I did that when I was running business development at AOL uh, back in the day. And, um, and since then ran two venture-backed um, 
you know, Web 2.0 uh, companies, one of which AdVest has become one of the largest content distribution platforms in the country. And we started Surefire Social about three years ago when I saw web, how Web 2.0, um, sort of in our geek language, you call it Web 2.0, completely changed the game for small businesses. And, um, you know, the, the web, um, you know, became an opportunity that sort of leveled the economic playing field uh, where, uh, you know, small companies can compete with any size company because it wasn't a lo- any longer about uh, economic power, out shouting your competition through, you know, spending more dollars in, in different types of media vehicles. If you could be smart and use certain new um, technologies and channels like social media and search engine optimization and, and directories, local directories and things like that, and, and combine them into sort of a platform approach, you could be more visible than not only your, your competitors in your local market, but even national competitors. And um, so we, I created a, a, a workflow around that, and I wrote a book called Surefire Social, an e-book, and I went around giving talks, and people wanted to, to learn more and then have us do it. So Surefire Social became, um, you know, uh, a, a marketing services, hyper-local digital marketing services company for for um, small businesses that are looking for particularly lead generation. We're, we're very lead generation focused in what we do. Well, okay. Uh, with that background, uh, small businesses today are faced with this plethora of opportunities to generate leads. And they can go to Twitter. They can go uh, to LinkedIn. Uh, they can do their own website. Uh, how does a company manage this sort of a uh I don't want to say I'll say a mishmash, but a variety of media, and how do they better manage it? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, the well, the economic playing field leveled because it's not about spending money; it is about um, spending more time thinking, and especially around creating, creating content. And it's not as hard as it may seem when you think about it, but it does require, um, you know, a more thoughtful approach. You know, it, it starts with, like any media that you would do, is identifying who, you know, your target audience is, who you're trying to reach and influence. And then um, by doing that, you could start to narrow down um, the different channels and, and how they're all going to work together, and that's the real important part. There are probably three buckets that people need to think of, think through strategically, you know, and probably in order of importance, I would say number one is, you know, you still need to have a really good website that communicates your value proposition, you know, where you do business, you know, kind of your service area, your market, and have good conversion mechanisms on it, and to be structured properly so that you um, have different, you know, what we call landing pages that are, keyword or key phrase optimized so that they have the potential to show up when people are searching for products and services and solutions like like you might offer. So your 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 website's the home base, but websites changed an awful lot because um, there's what we call content management systems that make it a lot less expensive to create and operate a website and you could actually make changes and do stuff yourself. Um, so so having a really properly structured website with the right content on it and the right conversion mechanism is sort of step one. Um, the second step on it is um, how you're going to operate in what I call the atomized web. In this Web 2.0 world, um, it went from you could just have a website, make it sort of a brochure, and people will find you, and you optimize your web pages. Well, today, search has completely changed. Your web pages obviously have a chance of getting indexed and served up for different web searches, but a lot of different content and social media sites and directory sites and review sites also can show up for your business. So you want to layer different things in terms of social media, make sure you have social media profiles and you're active in the right social media channels for your target audience. 
directories like you know, Google Plus Local, Yelp, Angie's List, um, you know, House maybe if you're in the home improvement market. There's other ones for medical practices or lawyers or whatever. But you know, being involved in the right directories as well. So you want to you want to make sure that you're operating and you're um, you know you've got a good presence in in those types of um, of vehicles. And then the the, the third part um, of you know kind of having a, a really complete presence is you know creating you know creating content. Um, you know because uh, the, the the visibility for a local business is based around two fundamental principles um, in, in the new search world. One is recency. Um, search engines look for recency of content. It could be on your website through a blog or an updated web page. It could be on social media sites. It could be new recent reviews that were posted about your company in different directories. But recency is a big principle. So you want to be focused on consistently creating or having other people even better create content about your company. Um, and then the second one is proximity. One of the really cool things that happened in the Web 2.0 world that made uh, being visible and giving actually small businesses, local businesses, a leg up is the fact that search engines suddenly woke up to the fact that you know, 30 40% of searches done every day are for local businesses. And, you know, they're a very competitive market, and they want to serve their customers well. So they've changed the algorithms so that when they think there's a search that has local intent, um, they really look for, um, for uh, you know, signals, you know, within that company of, you know, where they're located, and they, and they, um, they attach those signals to, um, to uh, you know, the users, you know, they'd be on a desktop with an IP address or mobile device with GPS. So they're able to connect people to businesses that are closest to them um, that have the best content that's the most recent content. So, um, so visibility today for, for, for small businesses around, you know, creating content, you know, and, and making it a regular part of your business flow and this idea of anchoring it in proximity signals around your business. Well, what does Surefire do? Well, what we do is, um, you know, we abstract away a lot of the complexity around um, actually producing the content, publishing that content, and um, building the websites in the proper way. Um, where we we actually do all this work for small business owners on an outsourced basis. Kind of the, the, a good anal an analogy would be we're sort of the, the IBM for small business owners. We come in, we operate it for you, we make sure it's done with best practices, and we measure and track everything, and we meet with the business owners regularly so they see how well they're progressing and, what they, more importantly, the ROI on their activity is. Because, you know, what we find, and I found when I wrote Surfire Social and when I'm giving speeches, is that most small business owners are feeling overwhelmed. They're frustrated. They're a little bit confused. In a lot of cases, they're pissed off because they've spent money doing different things on promises made by a technology or by a new service, and it, it hasn't worked. So one of the things that we've done, kind of what leads us, is education. You know, if we could educate a business owner to ask the right questions, they could make better quality decisions um, on what kind of service providers would be us or, or somebody else. But uh, owners can't abdicate knowledge, and we want to be one of those companies that are providing good general knowledge about what's going on in the market, how they ought to think about um, you know, creating content, for example, or what SEO looks like in today's world, or what social media channels small business owners should focus on, which should be the, the priorities for them, in order of priority, because you can't do everything at once and, and, and do it well. Uh, and pe people wanted to, uh, listening to this program, wanted to know more about it. 
what's your website, and can they talk call you talk to you directly? Yeah, our website's www.sureflyersocial.com, and there's a phone number at the top of that website, and if they call that phone number and they ask for me, then they'll be put through directly to me or at least to my voicemail where I could respond to that. Or they could actually email me at chris at surefiresocial.com and we could set up a time to talk. Well, I, don't, uh, I know I would like to take advantage of it because uh, I've been uh, looking at your site and I like what I, I see. Uh, we invite people on this program who we think uh, provide products and services that uh, can really work for our audience, and I think yours is one of them. Uh, we, we hope um, we hope to, uh, to have you back on this program a little um, uh, at another time, and we can go deeper into the, the into this discussion. Uh, again, it's SureFireSocial.com. It's uh, Chris Magentis, and uh, we look forward to uh, to your next appearance. Thank you. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Our next guest will be with us after this uh, brief commercial. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit cost. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Welcome back to Small Business Digest Radio. I'm Don Mazzella, and our next guest is Tamara Monsoff, who has an exciting book and, more importantly, some sage advice on starting and growing a profitable uh, small business. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, we always start off each guest by asking them a little bit about themselves and where they got and how they got to this point. So we'd love to start with you. Sure. So about 10 years ago, I uh, had left my career and became a new mom. And my daughter at 10 months old started to pull the family toilet paper, which uh, was cute until she clogged the toilet. And then (laughs) I went out to the store to purchase the gadget that prevented kids from doing that, and there wasn't anything. And so that's what inspired me to to invent my first product called the TP Saver, which prevents kids and pets from unrolling the toilet paper. And what was really interesting about the experience for me is you know, there were no guidebooks at that time. There was I had no roadmap. I was just really making mistakes along the way, trying to figure out how to bring a product to market. And then when I finally launched after 11 months, I uh, put out a free press release, and it got picked up by a major uh, TV network. And from that experience, I went on uh, NBC, and from that experience, what fascinated me was that I had half a million people coming to the site that weren't necessarily interested in my product, but they were interested in how I did it. And so that's what inspired me to create the Mom Invented brand because I had all these moms who said they had ideas and they wanted to bring their ideas to market, but they didn't know how. So that's also inspired me to write the Mom Inventor's Handbook. So the handbook really walks you through the steps on how to bring a product to market and you know, mistakes and uh, to avoid and really figuring out the best route to take. And then the uh, then we I created the brand for those that came to me that said that they didn't want to go into business but that they wanted to license their ideas. And so what I do now is I, I've now I've written five books over the course of this decade and uh, really – hope and inspire to inspire people to take their ideas and 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 bring them to fruition if it makes sense and why i say that is because the new book that you just mentioned how hot is your product 
is really a prequel. It's what I've learned over the last decade that I wish I had known and that really helps you evaluate your product idea before you spend a fortune bringing it to market. Well, okay, with that as a jumping off point, give us some of the um some of the questions you should be asking about your product. Uh uh you're not going to give away the book, but give us some ideas of what people should be thinking about. Well, the system has 10 steps, and you know, when we were try- bringing our own products to market, we brought over 20 products to market, and it, we were looking for a system ourselves because experts are always saying, do your market research, but nobody really tells you step-by-step step how to do it. And so that's what, what this is about. And so the very first thing is in the book is to do a self-assessment, which is where are you right now and why are you doing this and what are you trying to achieve here. And the reason why that's important is because you're creating a baseline and you get to see how much you've grown from where you started. And people often skip this point. Um, but it's really important to take just a few you know, brief moments to, to go through this self-assessment. Then step two is about the market. Who will want to buy your product? One of the things that I've heard over this really last 10 years over and over again it, are people making comments like, everyone in America will want my product, or all mothers will, will want this, or they need my product, or every pet owner can't go on without my product. <laughs> and so I say those broad terms really don't have any value, and you need to refine it and get specific and to identify how many potential customers that you have, truly, and to keep working to narrow that number down and narrow that down and to use free resources. Start out with the big picture data from census.gov and Zoom Info, but then get onto yahoo.com forward slash finance and start reading annual reports from public companies who have teams of people pulling together this market research if, you know, in your industry and really start to pay attention to what the trends are and what's happening in the market before you just decide that everyone's going to want it. Because they're not. Not everyone's going to want it. You just need to find out who indeed will want it. And do you want me to go on with all the steps? Oh, oh please. Uh, this program's your programs. I'm just here to uh, listen and learn. Okay, well, wonderful. I, and I really appreciate this opportunity because I'm really excited about this process. Um, it really makes product research manageable, and you can wrap your head around it and really get answers to your questions by going through these, this process. So with step three, it's about feedback. You know, what do people honestly think about your product? And oftentimes we, you know, we put all of our money into bringing a product to market based on what our friends and family have said rather than going out beyond friends and family. And I love friends and family because they support you and they want to see you succeed. But you really need to go beyond friends and family and make sure that people really want it. And then, you know, you have to find out what percentage of your target demographic would actually purchase it if it was available right now and how much they would pay and do they want it or do they need it? There's a real distinction there because it's if you need it, you're they're much more likely to purchase than if it's just nice to have. Well, let me interrupt. Step, yeah, please. Let me just ask, there's an old axiom of marketing, satisfy a need and you'll make money, satisfy a desire and you'll make a fortune. Uh, uh, That's what I was taught in business school. Uh, You seem to say that need, uh, if I heard you correctly, if they need it, they'll buy it. Yeah, especially if if it's solving a problem. Because I've had people come, I mean, people have been presenting a product to me for 10 years. And we've done many contests and received hundreds and hundreds, and I've gone through every single product personally. That's always my promise, that I will review them personally and through these contests. And what I've seen over and over again is that, you know, people get fall so in love with their idea that they think everybody else has that same you know that same issue and but first of all you got to find out if they indeed do have that issue but you know and, and it, it does it is there a need is it solving a common everyday problem where it would just make your life so much easier i mean these are the things that i look for when i'm bringing a product to market 
And then one of the things that people get hung up on is, you know, I always tell people not to rush out and get a patent first. And this is usually the very first step that people take. And you have to back up and find out if people will actually want your product before you spend a fortune with a patent. Because, first of all, if you rush out and get a patent, by the time you go through your product evaluation process and your prototyping process, your product is not going to look the same as when you first conceived of it. Conceived it. So it's going to change so much that it could actually make your patent invalid, and then you would have to spend more money with doing addendums. And, and so it's really important to just pause. Now, you can use effective tools like a provisional patent application, which will give you, you know, it holds your date so you can have 12 months before you apply for a patent, and that's a helpful tool. But I always say before you rush out and go get a patent, you know, make sure that you know what you're doing. And one of the ways to know what you're doing is to get online and search other patents and trademarks to, first of all, make sure you're not infringing on someone else's patent, but also just to see what's already out there. And is, you know, is your product already patented? And, and and actually, that could even be an opportunity. If If someone has almost the exact idea and they've already paid for patenting, that could be a potential partnership. Or it's something perhaps you could even offer to buy uh, a patent because it's an asset that can be purchased. So these are all the things to be thinking about before you just rush out and get a patent. And then one of the mistakes that I've seen over and over is with regards to manufacturing because when we initially start out, you know, we think of our products having every bell and whistle imaginable. And you're thinking, oh, and it can do this and it can have electronics and it can, you know, just go on and on and on. And that's great for the initial brainstorming. But as you're really getting serious about the product, it really needs to be simplified and brought down and and to because sim, being simple in the design lowers the production costs. So you want to put something fabulous out there that it has a good design, but yet you don't need it to be so complex that it's is bringing the production costs up way too much. And the other thing that I've learned also about is safety. Um, when I started out with my product idea. Mm. I went and I created an informal focus group with people I didn't know. And what what shocked me was that one of the one of the women said, "Oh my gosh, my child could choke on that cap of my product." And it had never even occurred to me. And so that's when I realized that there were federal safety regulations and then we went and I actually redesigned the entire product based on that one comment. So getting that type of feedback is so important and thinking about safety way ahead of time as you're developing your design. That's a very good point that uh, uh, I know I always forget in in looking at at things like that. We get a lot of uh, new products, new services coming across our desk um, uh, simply by the nature of our uh, uh, of our publication, and uh, that safety one is one I had never even uh, I hadn't thought of in a long time. So uh, uh, I'm going to emphasize this. Why don't you continue? The floor is all yours because I'm learning a great deal, and I hope the audience is as well. Thank you so much. You know, one of the things I just wanted to say about safety is I I, I my heart went out to a, a fellow inventor who came to me because she was so concerned because she um, she could not – well, first of all, she showed her product to a major retailer, a big box retailer, who was interested in ordering from her. And then they asked for proof of liability insurance. And she went immediately to get liability insurance. But unfortunately, because of the nature of her product, she could not get product liability insurance. So now she had 20,000 units in her garage ready to go, packaged, fully, you know, ready to be distributed, and she couldn't get any sort of product liability insurance. So this is the thing. 
all of this can be avoided if it's addressed ahead of time. And so that's what this whole book is about. This whole process is about. It's about finding the answers to these questions ahead of time so that you make good, smart decisions, that you're aware of what the issues are, so that you can go forward knowing that you've done everything you can to properly evaluate your product idea before you spend money bringing it to market. And the other thing, part of it is oftentimes in step seven, we talk about can you make money with your product? You can do things to figure out ahead of time if you can make money with your product by estimating the retail price of your product, which you can do by just doing research online and estimating the production costs of your product and then estimating the freight and the tariff costs from your product, and then what you end up doing is you subtract those numbers, your production costs, and from your retail price, and that's what you find is left over with your gross margin, and that's what you you have to figure out these numbers ahead of time, because again, I've had someone come to me who had the most gorgeous product. I mean, she had brought fabric in from Italy. It was incredible. I just loved it. However, because the production costs were so high and she hadn't calculated this information out ahead of time, the retail price was just astronomical and there's no way that, that consumers would in the end pay for the product. So this, all of these, these mistakes or learn, lessons learned can be done ahead of time, which is what I'm trying to, you know, I really am just wanting people to embrace this process because I know we get so excited about bringing our products to market that you kind of put on blinders to, and I did this myself. When I first, with my first product, I was like, okay, how do I make this thing? And I wasn't thinking about any of the other stuff. (laughs) And so I just, it's so critical though to your success is to figure out these answers so that you can clearly evaluate whether or not it makes sense. And I see success as letting go of a product idea just as much as bringing a product to market. Because if you figure out, gosh, you know what? My profit margin is not high enough. I can't possibly make this for the a cost that I'm going to be able to to sell it, you know, consumers are going to pay will not pay for this. If you figure that out, oh my gosh, you should celebrate because you haven't spent your savings or taken equity out on your house or gotten a loan or whatever it is, however you finance your business. You haven't you, you've been made, been able to make these smart decisions and, and know also that there will be more ideas. I've had people say, "But gosh, I only have this one idea," and I'm like, "No, no. Once you let go of one idea, it's amazing how the door opens up and other ideas come forward because you've given yourself some space now and you've opened the you know you you've opened up your mind because you've let go of the the thing that you've been focusing on. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, uh, let's stop a minute and let me ask: uh, Do you do most ideas occur to, occur to people in their homes? Where do you think ideas most occur? I think they occur everywhere, I, and it all just depends on what you're experiencing in that moment. But what I, you know, I've had people say, "Oh gosh, I wish I had an idea," and I say, "Well, now that you're thinking about it, pay attention." No matter where you are, what you're doing, pay attention and realize when you say to yourself, oh, I wish, you know, you're driving along and suddenly you say, I wish somebody would just do X to, you know, just make things so much better or easier or you're in the grocery store or you're in your home or wherever you are, just start paying attention to when you're feeling that way or somebody else says that or you've said it to yourself about you wish there was a solution to a problem because you could be that person. Why not? But the critical thing is to, okay, take that idea, and then what? one of the biggest issues that I see is that people fall so in love with it, and they think they're going to make a million dollars overnight. And so they suddenly, they, they call it their baby, and they put invest everything into it, and it just becomes this thing in their life where they're not, it's like these blinders are on, and you're not able to hear what people are telling you. And instead, what I say is ask everyone what they think. And if it's not positive, 
ask them why. What is it? What would need to change? And you know, if you know, how do they currently deal with the issue, or do they have an issue at all with it? And start asking these deepening questions. And as you, you know, the phrase "Don't shoot the messenger." Instead, say, "Okay, this is a gift." If they're telling me they would never buy that in a million years, I need to listen. What does that mean? Okay, and so these are the things that I tell entrepreneurs all the time because I, I oftentimes will say, okay, go into retail stores with your prototype and ask the manager or the buyer or the um, owner if it's a small store, you know, is this something that you could see carrying on your store shelves? And if they say no, don't just walk out the door. Say, oh, okay, why not? And it could be that they, you know, had a bad experience with a similar type product, or you know, you never know until you ask. Well, how can people how can people uh, get your book? Well, the book, just so you know what this is, I have the book. Of course, it's available on Amazon, but what I'm offering is a lot more, and it's a system. So there's a book, a workbook, and there are 22 video tutorials that are available that walk you through each step. So we actually took all of these steps in the product development system and we shared our computer screen. So we show you how to search sourcing sites like Alibaba.com. We show you how to go to Yahoo forward slash finance in order to find the annual reports and to locate the market research. We show you how to do searching, and we show you how to come up with your estimated profit. So we show you all of these things on video. And so the whole system is available at TamaraMonosoft.com. Say, say it again. TamaraMonosoft.com. And if they wanted to uh, – do you have an email address or something they could call, email? Sure. So they could go to Tamara at tomorrowmonosoft.com, oh. or they could just go to the website, and if you sign up right there, first of all, you're going to get the free quick start checklist, which will walk you through to see if you're on track. So if you're whether you're beginning or you've been into this for a year or two years, the product evaluation quick start checklist is available for free right now, and you can download it. It walks you through steps. It asks you questions so you can think about if you're on track or not. And then if you're interested in the system, the system's available there for three ninety seven. Okay. Well, uh, Tamara, uh, I've learned a lot tonight, and I hope sometime you come back and we'll talk further. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on your show. Uh, same here. Our, uh, our next guest, and we're going to go over the hour for this, uh, is going to talk about what color is your money. Are you on, Topi? Yes, I'm on. Yes, I'm How on. are you? How are I'm you, Topi? A, l- a little uh, trouble getting to us. I'm sorry about that. But um, okay. Topi, introduce yourself, because I'm having trouble uh, pronouncing your name. <laughs> And I much uh, with a name like Mizella, I'd much rather you pronounce your own. Okay. Well, my name is Tope Fajin Basi, and I'm the author of What Color Is Your Money. And what is your book about? Well, it's a personalized roadmap to business success. It's a book that attempts to explain financial management for anybody who either owns a small business manages a small business or wants to own a small business at some point. I explain the concepts of budgeting, saving, um, understanding financial analysis, and all those things that seem complicated. I explain them in very easy languages, starting with the concept of colors. Okay, let's explore that a little bit. What is the concept of color? Well, I I have met... um, many people over 15 years of practicing as an accountant, but I have been able to divide people into five basic colors. So if you know what your color is, then you can know what your strengths are or what your areas of improvement are when it comes to managing money. And if you're green, for example, you turn every dollar into an investment opportunity. You know, the good thing about that is that you're the one who grows the economy, but the bad thing about that is that you sometimes don't take enough care or seek enough advice when you're trying to get into a new business venture. So I explain different colors, green, yellow, blue, gray, and red, and also advise you on how to 
you know, take care of the pitfalls that are associated with your color or to maximize the strengths in terms of the kind of businesses that you should go into. Well, that's interesting. Let's take a color. What's a person who's a red color? Wow, that's not a good color to pick, but, you know, a red person is somebody who needs a lot of help. A red person doesn't deal with money in terms of reality. A red person wants to buy a Lamborghini, and they go and buy a Lamborghini, whether they have money or not. And, you know, if their phone rings ten times, nine out of those ten times, it's a creditor who's calling to ask for a debt that is overdue. So, you know, their idea of, you know, their wants and their needs is kind of blurry. But I say that a red person isn't hopeless. They're just dealing with some fear, some inner fear in their, you know, in their hearts, and they just need to seek some help. Okay, well, how about another color? Um, yellow? <laughs> yellow. Okay, well, great. That's a very excellent color. A yellow person is just like the sunlight. A yellow person thinks about money in terms of happiness. They work hard, and they think they should reward themselves and play hard as well. The good thing about a yellow person is that they, you know, they, they, they sometimes, uh, they're not necessarily in debt, but the bad thing is that sometimes instead of saving for the rainy day or putting their money in an investment to sustain their lifestyle, they might as well spend all that money today. So, you know, like I said, every color has its good side and its bad sides, but a yellow person is definitely a happy person. Oh, well, now that's fascinating. Um, uh, you know, you you mentioned when I said the red about the uh, uh, spendthrift. Uh, uh, someone once gave me a T-shirt that read, I can't be out of cash. I still have checks. <laughs> well, a, a red person can't be out of cash or out of check. They will have debt and have everything else. They just don't believe that they're broke. They will never believe they're broke. Well, there's a, there's some people are optimistic that say always that the world the, that the Lord will provide. Uh, where would they fit? Uh, where <laughs> would they will fit? Be in the gray. <laughs> they will be gray. They will be gray. That's the color. You know, when you look at the color gray, even in terms of fashion, if you wear gray in such a way that you know you just don't wear it well, you might look boring. But if you wear gray and combine it properly, you can really look really nice. So a gray person is the kind of person that due to their beliefs, religious beliefs, or because of their value system, they are just content with one pair of trousers and five, five shirts. And they don't want anything more than that. They're just, you know, okay, and they just keep going. The Lord will provide. They don't want to. They think money is the root of all evil. But the good thing about the gray person is that that's the best person to loan money for if you want to start a business that is socially relevant. Well, where can people get your book? They can definitely get it in bookstores or get it on Amazon.com. It's right now on sale on Amazon.com or on Barnes & Noble. Okay, and the name of the book again? It's What Color Is Your Money? Your Personalized Roadmap to Business Success. Okay, and uh, um, if they wanted to reach you, do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's www.ourfinancialcoach.com, ourfinancialcoach.com. Will you spell it for our audience? Yes, it's, um, it's O-U-R-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L-C-O-A-C-H, ourfinancialcoach.com. Well, you know, um, we're getting close to the end, and I want to thank you so much for being with us uh, today. Uh, thank you. Toby, and we're going to invite you back because I'm going to go out and buy the book because I want to find out what color I am. Fantastic. I, I look forward <laughs> to hearing it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank, thank, thank you again. Thank uh, you very much. Have a nice day. <laughs> thank you. Uh, this is the, we're coming to the end of uh, Small Business Digest. Uh, I don't want to pass another week without thanking my engineer, uh, Rich, for uh, for the great job he does managing all of these uh, uh, callers in. Uh, if you want to know more about Small Business uh, Digest, go to our website, smallbusinessdigest.net. You'll learn more about our magazine, our online newsletters, uh, about more about this program. If you if you want to be a guest or know someone who should be on this program, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, my email is 
D for Donald Mazzella, M-A-Z-Z-E-L-L-A, at I-S, that's I-D-A-S-A-M, hyphen, incorp.com. For uh, Rich and myself, we wish you a great night, and we'll be back next week with, with uh, hopefully an even more interesting show. Thank you. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.